Hello and welcome to the Say What Is Truth podcast with me, your host, Joni Haas. Oh, here we are in June and I am feeling the stretch. Do you feel the stretch, that feeling when you're asked to do and be more than you feel capable of being? Maybe you feel so stretched that you feel like you're going to break. I have experienced that a couple times in the last few weeks. Um, Being a parent, if you're a parent, that is no joke. Um, When I was raising really young children, toddlers, it was probably the most challenging time of my life. And it was the constancy of being needed all the time. Children who can't do anything for themselves, children who cannot be reasoned with. And it took a tremendous toll on my mental health. And when I would try to tell people how much I was struggling, inevitably I would hear them say, Oh, honey, you just wait until they're teenagers. You're going to wish for this time back. Well, they're teenagers. And no, I don't wish for that time back. My children can wipe their own butts and faces now. I don't have to be scared of silence anymore, and um, I would not go back. But definitely, teenagers come with weightier problems, and my heart breaks watching my children go through those growing pains of life. It's stretching them, and it stretches me as a mom to watch, and you know, As much as we wish the pandemic were over, it's super not. In fact, may I just please plead on the behalf of people like me who have compromised immune systems, please do not let down your guard. We are seeing across the nation, and particularly in Utah where I live, cases of coronavirus spiking. And um, I, I know that wearing masks and sanitizing and washing hands and staying home. We're all so sick of it. And I feel that too. I am sick of it. But please, please, so that we can do that thing that we were all talking about months ago, flatten the curve. That curve is spiking. Can I just beg that you take some precautions? That's that's all I ask. <laughs> That's another part of my stretch. The fear that I live daily with uh, is part of my stretch. But on a better note, my guest today is Malena. She is my niece. And when I asked her if she would like to be a guest, she insisted that she was not interesting, which is a bald-faced, I'm not going to say lie, because she wasn't lying, but it is so untrue. Uh, She's so interesting. And um, we actually recorded this episode before we recorded last week's episode with Faisal. Um, And Faisal was introduced to me by Milena on a different day. But we decided since some of the messaging in Faisal's episode was so pertinent to the times, we bumped his episode up so it would post sooner. You're going to love Milena, and her life is going to instill a sense of wanderlust into you, a sense of possibility that maybe you didn't realize was there in your own life. I admire her so much for 
seeing the things that she wants and not letting anything restrict her from going out and doing and taking those parts of life. She lives a rich, full, adventurous life. And uh, sometimes I just have to live through her a little bit. You're going to love her. Without further ado, here's Milena. a background that you're my niece. Oh, yes. Hello. And, my and name is Melina. Let us know how um, your age. I am 31. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Tell me. I, I thought it was really interesting when I asked you if you wanted to do it and you said that you didn't think you'd be very interesting. And I thought, <laughs> how could you possibly think that? Because even if all you did was tell stories of places you've been, it would Mm -hmm. be like the most interesting, but there's so much more than that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like everyone else who has been on your podcast, it's like, I went through the trial of my faith and I came out on the other side with convictions (laughs) or whatever. And it's like, I have cool stories I can tell if we're sitting around the campfire, just shooting the breeze or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I, I'm still in the midst of those things. I still have huge theological questions. I still, I haven't settled on almost anything. Sure. And so, well, I would bet that most of the people who have been on the podcast where it feels like they have had that are probably still in a discovery phase. It's just that we like to talk about things as as befores and ap- befores and afters. Uh-huh. You know, like even my own story, I I consider myself still in a major discovery phase as well. But I do know that I I can look back to where I was five years ago and say, well, at least I'm not there anymore. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so you were born (laughs) on a January evening. Yes. (laughs) Sunday morning. Yes. Um, Yeah. I was born in Long Beach, California. Um, And we only lived there for maybe a year or two after I was born. Like my very, very earliest memories are there, but I only have maybe two memories of California. Mm-hmm. And then um, we got a little too close for comfort to some gang violence. Yeah. And uh, my poor parents who were born and raised in, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, <laughs> like, nope, like we're done here. Town. Yeah, we're yeah. done here. So we're going back to Utah. You know, they had three little kids at the uh-huh. time. So it was just a little close for comfort. So they moved to Cedar City. And that's where, like, my really formative memories are. Um, And red sand still is home. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not until I'm in the red sand that I really feel like, oh, yeah, I'm home right now. Um, And so, yeah, really formative stuff there. And then when I was seven or eight, we moved to West Jordan, where Mm -hmm. we lived for a year or two. Um, And then to South Weber, where my parents still live. And that's where I went to, like the latter part of elementary and then junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, I, uh, I went through this time where I just, I felt like I had outgrown everything and everyone and I needed to get out. I needed to explore. And also like my closest group of friends then, and even still for the most part now, I'm still very close with most of them was me and a group of seven guys. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, we're all LDS at the time. So they're all dropping like flies, all going on missions and leaving me behind. And I'm just like, so frustrated that I can't do the same. And so, um, I just get like super frustrated and I'm looking for the next thing. And through a friend, I found out about river guiding in Moab. So I, 
um, went into my parents' room one night and was like, hey, by the way, I'm moving to Moab. And they're like, okay, great. <laughs> that's such, so, that's such a Moab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have um, to say that during this time, uh, like when you were living at home with your parents and I would come visit, like most of the time you'd make an appearance, but were very rarely there. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, I think you've always had a wanderlust type of, absolutely, like, mindset. And, mm-hmm. and not that, not that I felt like you thought you were too cool for us, but you just seem to always have something to do. So, yes, I, I've definitely, I've always been a mover, a doer, a goer. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting in suburbia is driving me a little crazy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I, went down and river guided for the summer and then did you have any other experience in doing anything like that nothing like that no so they I just didn't even train know, you yeah i didn't even know where moab was and this is like i didn't have a smartphone at the time either so i like went to www.mapquest.com <laughs> and like printed out directions on how to drive to moab and went down there and they're like okay cool you live in this trailer with 18 girls and i'm like rad and then um yeah, so I just started there, and they give you a full month of training before you ever have any, like, paying passengers on your boat. And, yeah, they go through, like, reading water and swift water rescue. That was that was the fun one, because you go out with just you and your buddies, and you, like, flip boats and do rescue scenarios and learn all the rope work and everything, and you just, like, get yourself into sticky situations and then learn how to get out of them. At any point, were you scared? Uh, no. like... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you definitely, everyone has, like, the horror stories and the scary moments when they're guiding, mm-hmm. but uh, that rarely happens when you're training, because, okay. I mean, everyone is reasonably fit and reasonably knows what they're doing. It's when But even just the idea of, like, we're purposely putting ourselves in a sort of dangerous situation. There's no, like, anxiety about that. I was, or... like, 18 at the time. Who cares? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I had plenty of anxiety at 18. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I never did. I was just ready to go, ready to explore, ready to do something. So um, for, gosh, three, three or four, three years, I think, I just went back and forth between the river in the summer and then up to Ogden in the fall and spring for college and then back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then I went on a mission to London, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. Uh, so can you explain... Just a little bit of your process. Was that something you'd always known you wanted to do? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I even had a number of semi-serious relationships before my mission where they're like, yeah, marriage. And I'm like, sorry, mission (laughs) sort of thing. So it was something that I knew I had to do to feel fulfilled. And if I didn't do it, I knew I would always regret it. And so, um, yeah, awesome, awesome experience. And then I came home from my mission went straight to the river. Um, and my parents have this deal where because we all pay for our own schooling, like they don't pay for any of our college or anything, because they do that, then uh, we have this deal where if we graduate, then they buy us something really nice or whatever. Okay. Like there's that thing at the end. So mm-hmm. like my oldest sister got like some nice leather couches and um, my older brother got like a nice professional saxophone. And um, my eyes were pretty messed up. I'm technically I'm legally blind and I just emailed them as I'm about to come home and facing another no I'm going straight back to the river when I get home and I'm like hey uh, for my graduation present I know I still have a year left before I graduate but if I promise to graduate can I get LASIK and they're like yeah sure so I came home um, and usually it's like a few week process to like get all of the 
appointments and everything. And I just like hopped in on cancellations. And like two days after, maybe three days after I got home from my mission, I went and got LASIK. And then two or three days later, I'm on the river. That's crazy. Yeah, it was so great. And they're like, okay, like, don't get wet. Like, be very careful in the shower. And I'm like running rapids and junk. It was, it was fun. But um, again, not a high caution individual (laughs) here. (laughs) No, not at all. Um, So did, did the scales and tails come after that then? So no scales and tails. I started in 2007. So that was the year I graduated high school. Um, and yeah, that fall, cause so I was working at a pool at the time mm-hmm. and as a lifeguard, as a lifeguard. Yeah. And every Halloween we throw a big party for the kids at the pool, um, where, you know, we'd have like different activities and games and whatever. And they thought like, Ooh, let's call some spooky reptile people in. <laughs> And then my boss knows me very well. And she's like, okay, Melina, you like go head that section, like go help them go take tickets or whatever. And, um, so I go over and I'm helping them and yeah, skills and tells us like this interactive, like this reptile show where, you know, they'll bring like snakes and lizards and alligators to your birthday party. Like you can have an alligator in your living room. It's pretty rad. Um, and so end of, end of the day, whatever, we're like sweeping up and I hear them talking to each other and he's saying like, oh no, when you go back to um, like your ski job in the winter, whatever will I do and where will I find another person to help me in the business and so on and so forth. And I'm like, hey, I'll do it. And you know, I'm this little blonde girl. They're not taking me seriously. <laughs> and they're like, uh, do you have a reliable way to get to Salt Lake? I'm like, yeah, I have my own car. I'm like, okay, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 18. Um, and they're like, all right, cool, start Saturday. So I just, they kind of found me um, and then my whole life ever since has been pretty heavily reptilian. Yeah. Right now you're wearing a shirt that says, I want to kiss every bug, but they are, they are small and my lips are so strong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's uh, that's me. Yeah. So like, but explain what you did while you worked at Split scales and tails. So, like it's more than just, an alligator. I remember yeah. at one point seeing you with a scorpion in your mouth. Yes, that too. Um, again, uh, maybe this is pretty telling, but I'm a little blonde girl, so people don't take me seriously. And then, so, you know, like they book an, a reptile show. So it's, you know, birthday parties, school events. If you think about like, oh, the assembly where they bring the snakes and you get to like see the snakes or whatever, or, um, you know, school groups, fairs, like they have lots of fairs every summer. Um, and so, that was, that was essentially it. You just bring animals there. It's very educational. You tell lots of jokes, keep the kids entertained, whatever. And then, um, at the end, we'll like get out some of the nicer ones or the more handleable ones and pass mm-hmm. them around. And, mm-hmm. and so it was, it was super fun, but, um, yeah, a lot of the times like people would book this reptile show, you know, and they expect Steve Irwin to show up on their doorstep. And then I'm like, hi, I'm going to do your reptile show now. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, you can just see it in their faces like, oh, it's this kind of like, you know, and, uh, so I show up and one of the first animals I have is this emperor scorpion, which is a big black impressive looking scorpion, but they're actually like pretty mellow. Um, and I talk about how to tell the difference between like a dangerous quote unquote scorpion and a safe scorpion. Um, these guys are safe because if they were to sting you, it would be like a bee sting. It would turn red, it would swell, it would hurt a little bit, but it it wouldn't put you in the hospital. The big black ones. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, well, you know, I have this test of how you can tell it only works once, you know, (laughs) but 
then I'd put it in my mouth and everyone screams and jumps back and, and, uh, it's really fun. But after that, they take me seriously. Like, yeah. okay, this, this chick's legit. We can, we can do okay, this. Okay. So uh, we're kind of glossing over this whole thing. Like, um, what, <laughs> I don't even know how to ask it, but what do you think it is about you that makes it that the idea of putting a scorpion in your mouth is fine and you know running dangerous rapids is fine mm-hmm. and just making really spur of the moment plans and and going off and being completely like you own right now snakes and tarantulas and and you've sort of always been your own adventure seeker mm-hmm. do you th- do you recognize something within yourself that's different from other people that makes that like I would never I would even even if I can be convinced that a scorpion in my mouth is safe, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that. Uh-huh. And I did touch one of your tarantulas once and I'm I still shiver. I still sometimes. remember that and I'm still so proud. Uh, <laughs> but it gave me like the willies to no end. And then your dad let it crawl up his arm, and then it crawled over his shoulder onto his back, and he's like, get it, get it. And we're all like, no way! None of us are getting it. Yeah, that's about the time that you ran out of the room shuddering. Yes, that was so gross. <laughs> anyway, but like, is that is it just something that's always been in you, or do you feel like you've, you've I mean, is it out of true just desire and love for the things that you do, but it's not about trying to prove anything to anybody. No. I mean, yeah, the scorpion one, that's just trying to prove, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, I don't know. I've, I've always had this, this drive and this overwhelming desire to just be out and learning and doing and experiencing. And the fact that I can't learn and experience and do and know everything in this lifetime is like the ultimate frustration for me. Mm. Like I'm constantly, like if we are sitting down to watch TV one evening, Chris is like, what do you want to watch? I'm like, documentaries or whatever. Um, and like, I'm constantly reading science and I am listening to scientific podcasts and all these things. Like I just have this drive to go and to do and to experience and to learn and to feel and to, and uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I've always had that. And then, um, as soon as I like went into adulthood and had the opportunity to chase all of those things on my own, I was gone sort Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I does that answer your question? Do you ha- just... do you feel fear about things like anything? Um, <laughs> I mean, there there are definitely times guiding, like on the river, that you know you're coming up to like this big hole. It's like, oh, this hole has already killed X amount of people this year, sort of thing. Um, to just to clarify, the river does not kill very many people, and the people it does kill usually involve alcohol and a lack of life jackets. Sure, but in any case, you know you're going, you're like rowing up to this hole and you have, you know, five to 10 people on your boat that are just like ignoramuses from New York. Like they have no (laughs) idea what they're doing. And if they go in the water, they're not going to help themselves. They they have no skills. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're rowing up to this hole and you're just, and I'm just like shaking with fear. And at that point you're just like, please God, I promise if you didn't, and you're like bargaining, you know? Um, and it just comes to a certain point. You just have to like click in, know you have the skills cross yourself and like row in and that's that whatever but um so do you thrive off that yes, thrill yes see because i have had experiences in my life where i feel similar feelings 
and I feel really proud of myself when I when I do click in and mm-hmm. and move through. Mm-hmm. I don't have any desire to do it again. <laughs> like I'm like I did it. I'm a rock star. I did it, and now I can go do something safe. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've always been just super uh, fascinated and and proud of just your like you've got so much natural tenacity like you just go and um sometimes even jealous is the wrong word but wondering how does a person just know so strongly like that I'm gonna go do that Mm -hmm. because I've spent a lot of my life being like well I could do this and maybe (laughs) I could do this and I'd probably be pretty good at that but I haven't chased a bunch of those because I I feel like I have to know for sure that I'm going to like it or be good at it before mm-hmm. I can go. And then I find myself paralyzed. And, yeah. and you just seem to be like, no, I want to do that. Yeah. Like, what does that conviction feel like for you? Like, how, how, do, how does that come to you? Where you're like, that thing? Yes, I want to do that. I honestly, I don't know, because I've just always been that way. Like, if I have the desire I know I can I know I can do anything if I'm willing to work for it and Mm -hmm. if I'm willing to pay the price and so I don't know there's just I guess it just never clicked in my brain that there are limitations and you just have to listen to your passions and not so much limitations I mean you have to be smart about it you have to like plan logistics for travel and so on so forth and like the other costs that go into what you're gonna do but I like there's that quote that gets touted everywhere. I kind of hate myself for quoting it, but it's like, (laughs) at the end of your life, you're going to regret more of the things you didn't do than the things that you did do. And it's just, I don't know. I, but it's a two-edged sword. Like, yeah, it's, it's really fun. And I definitely live for that. But then I also now working a nine to five job, living in suburbia, like just playing house, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like I just live with this baseline of frustration that I'm not out there that I'm not doing what I want to be doing. Like if I had my way, I would just be like traipsing the world, mother Teresa in various countries and doing different things and experiencing different things. And I'm just stuck here. So would you say that being married is the thing that keeps you from doing those things? That's not, a very strong, not, yeah. not to say that your husband keeps you from doing those things, but just the Jerk. role, just, just, <laughs> just when you get married, things change. Yeah. You, you enter into yeah. a contract and there mm-hmm. are sacrifices for sure. And yeah, that is, that is a really big part of it, but it's also, I mean, I just have to realize that that's also the smart thing to do because we do have plans. We have dreams that we're working our way towards accomplishing. They're just maybe bigger dreams than I've ever had before. So I have to put in a little bit more work up front yeah. to do. Um, and so right now we're in that work period where we're getting ourselves financially secure so we can go out and do these things, but it's just frustrating in the moment where I'm like, Oh, got to go to work Monday through Friday, sit in fluorescent lighting and deal with it, you know? And so, (sighs) but your husband is very adventurous. Yes, he is. He is. He's, you guys are a great match when it comes to, you know, like out in the world adventures, Mm -hmm. you know? I, you know, I love to see all the pictures of all the places that you go and sort of vicariously be, I don't want to say jealous again, because you also very often look cold. And <laughs> I often am. <laughs> I don't get jealous of people who are cold, yeah. but, um, 
Okay, so we've kind of come up to after your mission, you came back, you went right to the uh, to the river, uh-huh. and, and then, then and then what? So then I came back, and I still had one more year of school to do. So um, within a month or two of coming back to school, I met my husband, Chris, um, and we met just outside of Zion National Park. I was down there chasing snakes and lizards around the desert, and he was there to go canyoneering. Um, but then I was like, man, if I'm going to Southern Utah, I have to be ready for any opportunities that present themselves. And so I threw in my climbing harness and shoes and everything, just hoping that I could find some people who are climbing because climbers are so great. You can just like walk up to them and be like, Hey, can I do a route? Can you blame me? And they'll just be like, sure. We're instant best buds. And so I was just like, I just want to find somewhere I can climb because I'm all, I've already been at school for two months now. I'm already going insane. (laughs) So I'm down in Southern Utah and I'm just like chasing lizards around and stuff and I'm at this trailhead, kind of like getting my gear together. And a couple of cars down, I can hear this group talking. And they're like, okay, we're going to go do this canyon. And then we'll go do this canyon. And then if there's still daylight left, we'll go do this canyon. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> so you're and just so, by yourself. Well, I, so I, it was for a school project that I was doing this. And I drove down with two other girls in my class. But I was just like this weird third wheel. Mm. Like I didn't. Uh, I was like, it was, it was nice. It wasn't like, there wasn't any bad air, but, um, they were boring. <laughs> um, so, um, so I hear these people talking and I like, I just wander over there and I was like, Hey, I have a harness. Can I come? And they're like, sure. And they happened to be from Ogden and I was living in Ogden at the time. And, um, and it was great. And Chris was in that group. So that was the first time I saw him and he was wearing this hoodie that said pagan mountaineering and pagan mountaineering is like the REI of Moab. Okay. And so, um, I, and you know, I only left Moab like two months before, so I'm super stoked to see that. And I run over there. I'm like, oh my gosh, do you wreck it pagan? And okay. When I tell the story, it makes him sound like a jerk. He is much better now, but (laughs) he's a big, tough guy. And he has to be sure that, you know, he's a big, tough guy. So love that you're (laughs) pre-apologizing. I'm not the first to do so by the way. But, um, yeah. So I run over there. I'm like, Hey, do you wreck it pagan? And he didn't just, you know, tosses his head. He's like, no, I just lived in Moab for a long time. And <laughs> I'm wearing one of my work shirts with like the work logo and everything on it. Cause it's great for keeping the sun off in the desert and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. Um, I look, I work for a Western and I looked at, you know, here, here's my logo on my shirt. And, um, so the thing is Western, like that company, it has the reputation of like being the goody goods, the Mormon kids, whatever. Cause they were like, we're the only company that's required to like wear a nice collared shirt when we're like first meeting our people. Um, the world only ones with like a no drinking, no drugs policy. Like we need to shave and look nice and be presentable. Everyone else, they're just like drunk off their rocker and just like drug out out of their minds. And they're like, get on my boat, biatches. You know? <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm going to trust my family to you going down these class five <laughs> rapids. That's great. So anyway, um, Chris worked for pretty much everyone except Western because we're the goody goods and he wasn't into that. Um, he interviewed for Western at one point, but they told him that he had to shave his beard and he was like, peace. I'm I'm not doing that. So, um, so yeah, that's the lead up to this story. So I'm like, yeah, I work for Western. And internally he's like, ew, but he's being nice. And he's like, oh really? Like how long did you do that for? And at that point I'm like, oh, you know, four, four summers. And he's like, oh really? I did it for seven. Just like total one-upmanship. I'm like, wow. So internally, both of us like you, and we just like turned and walked away. I don't think we even said another thing. Like we just mutually were just like, nope, we're done here. And that was the first time I met the love of my life. 
Um, but yeah, then once we got down into the canyon, um, he's so fun. Like when he's doing something he's passionate about, he just like gets giddy like a little kid and he just, there's just light in his eyes and he just like, is having the time of his life. He loves canyons. He loves anything outdoors. He's very, very outdoorsy. It's kind of a prerequisite, um, for me, but then, um, so we got down there. I'm like, okay, this guy like is actually pretty fun, whatever. And then at the same time he's checking me out and he's like, oh wow. Like all the other girls in the group, he had to like help climb down and up things and whatever. And I'm just like jumping off stuff. And he's like, Hmm, this girl can hold her own. Cool. <laughs> and then, um, so we're in the Canyon and, uh, kind of got over ourselves. And that's when we were like, okay. So I drove down as like this weird third wheel with these other two girls and drove home with Chris mm. and we've been together ever since. And how long ago was that? Uh, that was 2012, the fall of 2012. Cool. Yeah. And and he works in the medical field. Yes, he is a nurse. And then he just, um, this month, graduated with his doctorate of nurse practitioner. Oh, that's awesome. Yes. That's so great. Yeah. Congratulations to him. And to, to you both, because getting somebody through school is a joint effort. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So um, where does that trip fall in your timeline when you just, like, went all... I mean, there's probably been several, but I'm thinking specifically of when you went to a bunch of like the, like Indonesia mm-hmm. and places like yeah. that. You were just traveling by yourself, yes. right? Uh-huh. So explain that kind of lifestyle culture, which is again, something that I would find way too intimidating <laughs> yeah. to do myself. <laughs> well, um, so Chris and I dated all that school year and then, um, I knew I needed to go back to the river because the river is my soul. And so I left for the summer and Chris was pretty bummed about that. And he was like, well, you know, like I go for, yes, go follow your dreams, go to the river. We, we all love the river, but, uh, when you get home, let's talk wink, wink. And I'm just like, huh, nervous laughter. Um, and so was marriage something that you wanted? Uh, yeah, but I wasn't sure I was ready for it. Like definitely, definitely. I knew I wanted to get married eventually. Yeah. But also like Chris and I, we didn't completely line up on some things and, um, our, I don't know, our timing and our, um, standards as far as the church goes and things. And there were just a few things that I wasn't quite comfortable with, but I knew that like, I, like this was the best match I'd ever found, whatever. So we, um, we dated all that year. I went to the river and I just like had this crisis where, you know, I'd always had the plan. You know, you graduate high school and then you go to college and they're just like, you know, the next step the whole time. And then you go on a mission, whatever. And it's just like, so I had, I finished my mission. I had graduated from college. I had my summer job. And then at the end of the summer, just nothing. And like for the first time in my life, I was like, I don't just know what the next step is and I have to figure it out. And that gave me a lot of anxiety. I was just like, man, I, I, I don't know. Like, do I go home and marry this boy or do I do something else? But like living in London and like just so diverse, so many cultures and colors and languages and ideologies and everything. And I, I knew that I wanted to travel. I knew I had to travel and I would not be okay not traveling. And so I knew this boy was waiting at home for me and I wasn't like, I just knew that I wasn't going to be happy just going directly into marriage. I knew I wanted to travel. And I was like, look, I just work. I'm going to be working all summer. I'm going to leave with like a good supply of cash and like a lot of time. If I'm going to travel now is a time I have to do it now or it's not going to happen. And so I just um, called Chris 
And I was like, oh, hi. Um, by the way, I bought a one-way ticket to Bangkok. Okay, love you, bye. <laughs> and he was like, wait, what? Did he feel like you were running away from yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, I was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, because we, we had said that, like, that summer we were going to, quote, unquote, break up or, like, take a break and, like, we'll we'll revisit it in the fall and see where we stand on things. But we weren't at all. Like, I, so on the river, like, you leave and you are just like out in the wilderness with no cell phone reception for five to 10 days at a time, depending on the length of your trip. And, but anytime I was home, I was instantly like calling him. And anytime I had time between trips, I was going up to see him or he was coming down to see me. Like we were still full on dating. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to know, and I need to actually get away and assess the situation, which I haven't done yet. And the only way to do that is to actually leave. So I, uh, I was feeling really good about it one night and I just got on the computer and bought a ticket to Bangkok because I didn't know how long I wanted to be gone either. Yeah. I didn't want to like lock it in. And so I just like, yeah, I don't know. And so I told him and I was like, so, uh, yeah, leaving for Asia. See you when I see you sort of thing. And so I went to Asia and I made a point of not talking to him for at least the first month because I really wanted this to be the getaway and think about and assess things from a distance break that we were supposed to be doing over the summer and didn't. And, um, so yeah, I I just went out by myself, and this was my first time traveling internationally by myself. And so I f at first booked like this group tour sort of thing. So I just to know that there would be someone picking me up from the airport and like setting me on my feet and helping me know like the currency and the rules of the country and like what to do, what not to do, whatever. Again, any fear here? Well, no, because well there would have been fear if I was just going by myself. I okay. just kind of, like would have been way out of my zone and just what is happening, but. Um, yeah, that was a really good thing just to have like a mama duck to follow around for the first little bit. And by the end of that, like 10 day or whatever trip, I was just like ready to be done with the people, ready to be out on my own. And so I like was just ready to go. So that was a really good thing for me to do is to like have a group. Yeah. And then, uh, be out on my own. But Kate, as far as the culture goes, so freaking fun because I so I had this map of Southeast Asia and I just like had pins on a map just things that I knew I wanted to see and then I just kind of like drew this circuitous route through them um, but then you know you're just traveling and you're staying in hostels and so sometimes like someone who you're staying with like someone else who's also in the room is like oh I'm gonna go check out this cave or this island or this temple over here or whatever and I'm like sweet I had no idea that existed can I come sure you know and then you just like form these micro families it's like mm -hmm. oh well we met in Chiang Mai in Northern Thailand, but now we're going to travel through Laos and Vietnam together. And then it's like, oh, well, now I want to go this way. It's like, oh, well, now I want to go this way. Okay, love you, bye, sort of thing. But then, like, in the next city, you form another micro family. And so you just, like, hop in, you hop out, whatever. And it's so much fun because, like, the days that you're feeling really extroverted and, like, you want to party and, like, be friends with people or whatever, you go sign up for a hostel. And you just like instantly hop in and someone's got a guitar and you're like, yes, this is great. And then the days where you just kind of want to be by yourself for a little bit, you pay like $2 more and get a hotel room for like $8 a night. That's and crazy. Like, okay, now I'm my own person and I just don't want to talk to anyone for a few days. And that's fine. And you just like gauge it to exactly what you want to do. If you really like a place, you stay. If you're done with it, you go. If you love people, you follow them around. If you're done with people, you stick to your own. And it was just like so liberating and so much fun. And I had some of the best gospel di discussions of my entire life because, you know, walking around London, <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, hi. And they're like, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I love, I love Great Britain. I love uh -huh. the British, but there is very much a like, 
we all stay in our own lane mm-hmm. mentality. Mm-hmm. So I will be polite to you and you <laughs> will be polite to me. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we won't speak. Um, um, we, yeah, there was definitely lots of like, even when they absolutely hated our guts and wanted nothing to do with us, they were still polite about it. They're like, right. would you please just kindly go to <laughs> It's like, oh, yes, I'll just pop in on my way to the shop, you know? Like, oh, that's great. But, um, but yeah, in Asia, I mean, it's all people in, like, their 20s mainly, and everyone is super open-minded and, like, really excited to hear a new idea. So, you know, just, like, sitting around a fire or something, and, you know, I could just, like, have these gospel discussions, and I took a couple of those, like, pocket Book of Mormons with me and, like... Mm-hmm handed him out and people were like stoked to like learn a new idea. And so like some of the best discussions of my life and, um, and not just on that, like, I don't want to turn it into that. It was just, I mean, about everything, everyone just so stoked to like hear some different perspectives and learn different things. And I was included in that. Like I learned so much about so many people and absolutely loved it. Just one of the best, best experiences of my life. Um, I also like got scuba diving certified over there, which was super, super fun. And that's like a big passion of mine now that I still keep up with. Um, but yeah, so I just traveled around for a few months and in the course of all of these micro families and everything, I would get like, I would have the opportunity to get romantically involved with someone. Mm. And every time I would be like, well, he's not as smart as Chris. Oh, he's not as good looking as Chris. Oh, he's not as funny as Chris. He's not. And I just realized I was like, man, he is going to be the metric for the rest of my life. Like everyone is going to be compared to him and no one is going to measure up. Like I will legitimately not be happy with anyone else. Mm. And so I Skyped him because I had like completely broken up with him before we left. Just like I'm leaving. Goodbye. Um, Was it like I'm leaving goodbye forever or I'm leaving goodbye. We'll talk later. It, uh, something in between that it was like I'm leaving goodbye I'm confused I need to think okay. <laughs> sort of thing okay um but I just skyped him and it was not great service like it was not great great sound quality or anything and I so our conversation was like five minutes tops maybe like two minutes and I was like hey uh I've been thinking about things and uh, I think we should get married and he was like great and then <laughs> connection cut out <laughs> And I was like, well, he heard what he needed to hear. And so I left. And so um, then the rest of the time I was there, I continued to travel for a few more weeks or months or something. And, uh, and yeah, at that point we would be messaging and stuff, but I like made a very good point to like not talk to him for the first month or six weeks or something. So how long were you gone total? Uh, I don't, three months maybe. See, so from the, from the other side, the family that, um, your mom and I come from are very just like, you know, we don't expect a lot. You know, we just, we do what we have to do. We live our lives. And like, you're a little bit of a anomaly in our family, just Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, I mean, your mom has always spoken of you with pure pride. You know, she's never been like my weird daughter, but and and almost she is like my weird daughter like <laughs> like so happy about it when she talks about you uh the only the only like downside that i that i've seen of course i don't know her heart and mind is that she worried mm-hmm. she's worried about yeah. you you know she'd be like I, i'd be like where's melena right now she's like I don't know. <laughs> She's somewhere in Asia right now. Yeah. Last I heard, she yep. was in this city, but I don't know. Yep. I don't know where she is, you know. And and to have your daughter 
off in the world, literally meeting who knows who at any mm-hmm. time yep. from any country, any culture, any anybody. Yeah. Which she is like was, the ultimate excitement for me, but I can totally get from the outside looking in, like why that is scary. Yeah. yeah. Especially for mother. Yeah. When she dropped me off at the airport for me to leave on that trip, she was crying and I was like, oh, come on. Don't be so melodramatic. But like thinking about it, it's like, yeah, that's very scary. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, so do you, I don't want to label you in any way because I, I label me baby. Well, you right now are standing and sitting in front of me with dreads, mm-hmm. dreadlocks in your hair. And, um, you kind of exude to me that same culture of, of, you know, people that I know who love to hike and love to mm-hmm. b- backpack and love to river raft and all of that. Um, and I know that in those circles, there's a lot of drug use. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, alcohol use there's mm-hmm. a lot of promiscuity and you, just the the um outward whatever it is that you exude is different than most of the people in our family and probably most of the people in your community do have you ever received anyone like judging you or treating you different or um, do you feel any type of difference between you and your community I guess is what I'm asking definitely I feel a difference between me and my community I feel like our priorities are different um but it's funny you should bring that up like uh, a few months ago I had a coworker call me granola and at first I got really defensive and I was like <laughs> I am not granola just because I raise my own chickens and bees and have dreadlocks and drive a Prius and make my own jewelry and obsess over houseplants and spend my spare time reading about composting. And then, and, 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 you know, this just kept going on and on and on and on. And she just sat there like with her arms crossed and her eyebrow inching higher and higher, just waiting for it to sink into my thick skull. And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm just not granola. Okay. But <laughs> so what is it about the term granola that you don't want to because, associate with? Well, even though everything, you clearly every, fall with it, right? <laughs> well, everything you just said, like, I have never used recreational drugs, not even, like, alcohol or marijuana. I have never participated in extramarital sex. I have a 401k and a 9-to-5 job. <laughs> I shave, you know, like... And it, it doesn't look like it right now, but I do shower regularly. I just came straight from work, and it's a really hot environment, so my hair is a little melted, which is kind of why I got dreads in the first place, because it's not worth doing your hair if you're going to work and everything is just going to melt anyway. Mm-hmm. So at least if you have dreads, then you can look semi-presentable at any given time. But, um, yeah, so I'll admit it. I'm kind of granola. <laughs> but um, And would it be fair to say that along with being a little granola – you're a fair bit liberal. That would be very fair to say. Okay. Yeah. And in our family, that's against the norm. It is against the norm. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, in a lot of communities where we live, it's against the norm. Mm-hmm. Unless you're in a specific pocket that, you know, there are little pockets of really liberal people. Mm-hmm. But Namely, uh, downtown Salt Lake, yes. where I work, and <laughs> Moab, where, <laughs> where I also work. Yeah. So um, have, you, have you ever felt separate or treated as separate or yeah um I mean it's really not that bad like um I'm not like so raging liberal that I like can't even look a conservative in the eye or whatever like I there are values of the conservative ideologies that I also connect with whatever like I'm not straight up but um 
Yeah, uh, our last ward, the ward we're in now, I absolutely, absolutely love. But our last ward, they would like bear testimonies uh, that were like very anti-science. And I'm like, I mean, my degree <laughs> is in zoology. I love evolution. I love science. I, and, you know, and so I have to like, and for me, I can make everything click in my head. Like, of course, like evolution is the way to go, you know, sure. and all of this stuff. But it's uh, very. To me, I think, no. It's not God or science. It's mm-hmm. God is the master scientist. Yeah. Like God uses the principles of science. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. And the way I was, cause I've had it from both sides. I've had, you know, like my more scientifically based friends be like, Oh my gosh, how could you still believe in God? Like you should have given that up around the same time as the tooth fairy. And then I've had like my very religious friends be like, Oh my gosh, like how, why do you, you know? And that's what I always say. I'm like, look, Science is man's current understanding of how God works. And that our, is, I love that quote. Yes. Thank you. Quote me on it. Coined I'm going it. to. I'm so, going to. Um, and so, like, our, yeah, science is expanding and we're learning so much more. But, I mean, God has always worked in the same way. Sure. And we're just coming to understand his processes right. more fully. Anything, and if a person from 100 years ago could come and look at what we do now, everything we do would look like magic to yeah. them. But mm-hmm. it's just because they they don't have the capacity to know those scientific principles mm-hmm. yet. And there are, I'm, I feel very confident that there is a, a, a almost endless amount of scientific principles that we just don't oh, understand for sure. yet. For sure. We're yeah. still in the dark ages in so many senses. Right. Yeah. Anyway. So you were talking about how your last ward, you felt like that, but that in your, yeah. and when we say ward, we mean congregations of church of the Jesus church of Jesus Christ of <laughs> Latter-day Saints. Yes. I feel like if anyone who has listened to this podcast before knows that in general, when we talk about church, that's the church that we are talking about, but yeah. go on. Um, our last word we really struggled with, I won't go into detail, but, um, we just, after a while, we just stopped going to church. It was mm. just too much. Like going to church hurt my testimony more than benefiting right, it. Right. And so we just stopped. Sure. Um, and so we were, uh, the term inactive, we weren't going to church for at least six months. Um, but we still like, we're very much good in our hearts. Like we have good relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are some things I really struggle with, let's be honest, but, um, but yeah, we were still good. And then, um, I went to, yeah, when we had been away from church for about six months, I went to a funeral of a friend in that ward. And, um, at this point we had a sign in our yard, we were moving and that was like how everyone was like, Oh wow. Um, and we had people approach us, be like, Oh my gosh, you're moving. We're going to miss you so much. I'm like, well, you haven't seen me in six months and haven't said a peep. So I think you're going to be fine. (laughs) Um, and so, yeah, we, we moved. And at that point we were like, okay, now's the point where we decide like, we can, we just moved. Like we could just fade into the ether and they would never know that we're here or like we can go to church, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like, okay, well no, let's, let's go. And like, this word is so great. It's like everything the gospel should be where people like look out for each other and aren't judging. Like in my last word, um, people would give me like sideways looks. Um, cause I mean, I am LDS uh, I have dreadlocks and gauges and tattoos and like, I don't, if you met me on the street, I don't look or sound or act LDS a lot of the time. Or the stereotype um, of what the we stereotype, consider that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I kind of like 
had this feeling in my old word where people like, oh, that's scary. And then in this word, everyone's like, you are the coolest person I know. Oh my gosh. I'm like, wow, thank you. This is great. Um, so yeah, it's much better now. We really like where we are now. So do you feel like you and Chris um, are, are in the same place as far as your belief systems? Um, I feel like we complement each other very well because... I mean, there are things that we don't ascribe to that's in the canon of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, but I feel like I'm better at like acting and keeping the commandments, but not as great on the belief side a lot of the time. Hmm. Um, I, I go just kind of out of obedience and I do these things out of obedience and, and then I like struggle with the belief and Chris, on the other hand, like believes things very strongly, but the, just chooses not to live them sometimes. Mm. And so I feel like between the two of us, we kind of like keep things on keel, but um, either one of us in isolation would not do as well. Interesting. That's, yeah. That's I feel a like good we're really good compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you talked about how, you know, there are things within the church that you struggle with and I do too. And I think of that a lot of people do. What... How do you reconcile that? Like, are you okay saying, I don't know? I don't know all the answers. Um, I mean, there there was a talk given by somebody. I don't, I should probably know. But they were talking about how if you're building a wall made out of stones, your stones are going to be irregular. They're not all bricks. They don't all fit together. And sometimes you have a rock that you're like, oh, this doesn't fit in here. What do I do with this? Um and you don't like force it in and try to make it work. You sometimes just have to like carry it down the line a little bit. And pretty soon you'll find a place where it fits perfectly. Mm. And so it's the same with our beliefs. There are some things that like you, you shouldn't try to force or like justify or try to make it work right now. Sometimes you just have to carry it down the line a little bit and it will fit in at some point. Mm. And I definitely, that's a beautiful analogy. Yeah. I, I wish I could quote who said it, but, um, so I definitely have, some rocks and boulders I'm carrying around right now, kind of waiting for them to make sense. But I also have some really big ones that I have found their place for in the wall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I just kind of hold, hold on to hope that it will make sense eventually. And in the meantime, just do the best I can love everybody and not hold back. I think that you and I are similar in that way. Mm -hmm. And you know, our, our two walls may look different. I don't know, but, um, there's a temptation within the church to be like, well, this is the most true church. And so if I can't believe all of it, and if I can't build all the wall perfectly right now, then I have to reject all of it. Mm -hmm. And I actually would guess there are a lot more people like you and me than, than oh, for sure. we, I don't want to say acknowledge, but we're kind of the hidden people within the church. Uh -huh. Like we're not celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That is like the number one thing that I have learned from your podcast. And that I love so much is like, when you go to church, you look around and you're like, wow, they have their, their life. To I almost swore. They have their <laughs> life together. They have their life together. They have everything figured out. Everyone here is like perfect. Like maybe you can think of some trials that some of them are going through or whatever, but you're like, wow, they all know and they're all here and they're all solid. And I'm like, crumbling in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and then listening to your podcast is like oh I'm LDS and I don't have all the answers oh I'm LDS and I have <laughs> doubts oh I'm you know and I'm just like wow there are other people like me and actually if we were to admit it I think 
we are the majority, but we are made to feel like the minority because people don't like to talk about things. Sure. Be, I think because the church um, accentuates the ideal, mm-hmm. then we sort of think that the ideal is where most people are and what's wrong with me that I'm not hitting that. Mm-hmm. But one of my very favorite quotes ever was by Barbara Smith. She was the General Relief Society president's president like in the 70s. And it says, ideals are stars to steer by. They're not sticks to beat ourselves with. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, stars. Okay. So if I'm going in the direction of the ideal, then I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Uh And and sometimes, you know, what, what we think is an ideal, we've either misconstrued or we have it tied up with dogma that isn't actually part of anything real and I think part of the the delicious messy grossness of life is <laughs> is like parsing all of those things out uh-huh. and figuring it out and unfortunately it's not easy and it's not meant to be easy so I keep I always tell my kids I'm like if you're struggling you're doing it right <laughs> because we're not put on this earth to just be like Everything comes easily to me. Mm-hmm. I know all the things I'm supposed to know, and <laughs> I never struggle. Yet, what kind of a boring person would you be? Yeah. So, yep. Um, you mentioned earlier that you and your husband are kind of working towards some bigger goals now. Yes. I'd be curious to know what those are. Well, um, hmm, where to begin? Uh, so, when I was in Asia, I met this girl who lived and worked on dive boats. So, she was just like this crew working on these boats, taking people scuba diving, whatever. And like, you know, still meeting lots of people scuba diving all the time and still like making good money. And I was like, wow, that, that is the next dream. That's the next thing I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. And, um, and so I was like thinking about this and formulating this plan, like, okay, what country do I want to be in? Where am I going to apply? Like, how am I going to go about this? Whatever. And that's, and then I was like, oh, Chris is scuba certified. And honestly, that's kind of what started that train of thought. I was like, wow, I can go do this and be married to Chris and we can go do this together. It'll be great. Like we'll get married and then like go live on a boat in some far off place and it'll be great. And so I talked to Chris about that in that, in that little like two minute phone call. And he was like, yeah, sounds great. Um, and so I just had this plan, like, okay, I'm going to go home. We're going to get married and then we're going to leave and go live and work on a dive boat in Thailand or somewhere. And so, um, so that's kind of been the dream is like living on a boat, scuba diving. And like, that's, that's the next thing. Well, I come home, um, Chris is waiting for me in the airport, um, and proposes, get a rock on my finger or whatever. And then like (laughs) a week later or even less, maybe he's like, Oh, by the way, I just got offered this job at LDS hospital. And I feel like I really need to stay and like take this job. And I was just like, you deceiver, you liar, (laughs) you dream wrecker. But I also like, I'm not so flaky that I'm going to like run away at the first sign of tribulation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll stay here with you. <laughs> and so, um, we got married, we bought a house in Layton. Um, and he took this job and I was just absolutely miserable, just miserable. You know, I went from like, I told you like this ultimate fulfilling experience, campfires on the beach and experiencing all these people and cultures and things and friends from every country and then suddenly I'm living in suburbia and a little housewife and working nine to five jobs and I'm just and I'm dying inside dying inside I think I cried every day for the first year of our marriage Mm. 
And I just, I was so miserable. And um, Chris came home from work one day and he was like, well, you know what? I'm not liking this job as much as I thought I would. And I, would, I was livid. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I gave up my life so you could work this job. I gave up Moab. I gave up traveling. I gave up everything so you could like take this job and now you don't even love it. And oh, and I like marched into the next room and I grabbed a world map and I came down and I threw it in front of him and I said, your contract's up in April and May we're going somewhere. Pick a place. And he like half glanced down at the map and he was like, oh, uh, I've always wanted to try Alaska. I was like, done. We're moving to Alaska in May. So we moved to Alaska in May and we worked there for a summer. It was great. Um, and then um, he took a series of contract jobs in different states. So we were bouncing around quite a bit doing different things. Um, but while we were in Alaska, we had some friends in Australia say like, hey, we, because we're Australians, we just get six weeks off every year. Um, yeah. And we're going to be like driving around in our camp trailer, like come camp with us and like see Australia. We're like, yes, please. So we took a contract in um, Arizona. We lived there for a month or two and then took a contract in Utah, was there for like the holidays and stuff, and then took a contract in Kansas City um, and everywhere we'd go, I'd just like pick up odd jobs. Explain whatever. what you mean by took a contract. Oh, yes. Sorry. So my husband being a nurse, he can just take travel contracts where it's just like you work in one place for like one to six months and it's pretty good money because they realize like you're not living in a house. You're like paying a short term rental or right. whatever. So they pay you like an extra per diem to exist. Mm -hmm. But then if you're not like using that, like if you get really cheap housing, then you just pocket it, Yeah, which is great. So it's a great way to like travel see a lot, experience new things, and still make really good money. Yeah. And if I had known that was a thing before I went to school, I would have done that, and I'm still sad I haven't. But, um, so yeah, then we went to Australia, and I was still pursuing the dream of, like, I want to live on a boat. I want to be scuba diving all the time. I want that as a job. And um, so we, like, traveled around with our friends for a few weeks or I think just over a month. Um, and then we were in Cairns, which is on the northeast coast is a city like closest to the Great Barrier Reef. Mm -hmm. And we um, were working as dive masters on this dive boat. Um, and we're like, okay, like this is it. We're going to stay here for a while. And we're going to do this. And um, like got offered some nice jobs on the boat. And I was like, yes, the dream is right here. And then our house in Layton that we were renting out, um, we came to find out that our renters were not treating it well and mm. it was not going well. I'm like, oh, now I have to go home and rescue our house. Cause we, I mean, we had a cute little house and they were just treating it like a crack house. Yeah. If they didn't want furniture, they just like haul it out to the front yard and leave it. They oh weren't taking gosh. care of the grass. Like we had this cute little house and I came home and it was just a mess. There were weeds in the yard as tall as me and whatever. So it sucked, but yeah, that's been the ultimate dream is like living on a boat and scuba diving. And I've been trying to get there for so long and something always goes wrong. Well, we had to come home and rescue our house, um, and we had to, like, evict the people, which is a big, nasty mess. And then um, Chris was like, well, hey, we're home. I've put it off for a few years, but, like, I need I need to go back to school now. Like, he always knew that he wanted to get his doctorate in nurse pra practitioner. And so he's like, okay, well, this is the time. Like, let's buckle up and go to school. And so that was a three-year thing. And so we were committing to that and working on that. So we're just kind of, like, stuck in Utah. But... The eventual dream, which we're still working towards, is to... Sorry, I took like a half hour to answer your one it's question. fine. But um, eventually buy a sailboat and circumnavigate the world. So all the way around. Take three to five years or more and just go all the way around. 
Another so, thing that I would be terrified. <laughs> we do. Well, um, so what we're doing right now, you know, we're working. Got Chris through school. He just graduated, which is fantastic. Super proud of him. That's awesome. Um, and then we are we're buying rental properties. So we've acquired a few properties because we want some passive income while we're gone. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're just kind of like working on building up our foundation there and then we're going to be saving up some money and buying a sailboat and going. Wow. So yeah, that's amazing. So right now, I mean, we're just like reading books. We're eventually going to take classes and certification courses and stuff. We're not just going to go out and be like, wow, here's a boat. There's the ocean. Ready, set, go. Like we need to know what we're doing so we don't die. But, um, yeah, so that's the eventual goal. That's the eventual plan. And, uh, that's what we're working towards. And so it's like, that's the thing that we're keeping there and working towards, but it's really hard sometimes when it's like, oh, it's Monday morning, have to go back to work. All right. So um, I normally hold that something like this isn't my business. And if you don't want to answer, you absolutely don't have to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm curious if having kids comes into play at any point in your plan. So... Um, Again, where to begin? I So if it were like 3,000% up to me, I don't feel like the need to be a mother. I would be completely fine not having kids. Um, I would be completely fulfilled, have a long, happy life, be great, whatever. I love my nieces and nephews. Being an aunt is the best job in the world. Like You have some cute ones. Oh my goodness. Tell me about it. So like being, I would say being an aunt is like all the best parts of motherhood and none of the worst parts. <laughs> it's like, I still have kids that I can spoil and love on and take to the zoo and buy things for and whatever. And then if they're brats, I just hand it back and walk away. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I don't feel like I don't have that need. Chris does. But the way it's always been is like, for me, yeah, no kids. For him, it's like, oh, no kids yet. Like, we're just not ready yet. And so it's like, well, we're kind of, we're getting into our 30s. Like, if we're going to do it ever, like, it probably needs to be soon if you want to have any energy to even, like, spend time with these kids, whatever. So I've told him, like, you know what? You tell me, because I, I mean, I'll be happy either way. I'm totally fine, totally fulfilled not having kids. But if we do have kids, like, I know I'll love them. I'm not going to, like, resent their existence. Sure. Um, so I just told him, I'm like, hey, like, when you feel ready for kids, let me know. And, like, I'll go to the doctor and get ready for it sort of mm. thing. But um, I don't, like, I all growing up, I always knew I wanted to get married. I always knew I wanted to have kids, whatever. And then um, in this year, in my time traveling and experiencing things that has waned. I mean, so I met someone in London who um, had his arms and legs broken mm. by his parents mm. so that he could be a more efficient beggar. Because oh my if there's a crippled child on the side of the road, you are much more likely to give them money than you are like a running happy child next to you sort of thing. And so I um, not even fathom. Yes, that. it's horrible. And then like, so recognizing that and then going to Asia, I saw a lot more of that because I, when I, when I travel, I like to get off the tourist tracks and like right. see the legitimate right. and not just like the bright shiny side that they show to the tourists. I like to just wander the city and get a feel for things. And I saw some really messed up things like that. And it's so sobering to like see someone sitting on the corner and you can see that their limbs are broken and you know that their parents did that to them. And then like, I, I just get this feeling like, how could I possibly 
bring more children into the world when there are millions out there who don't have anyone to love and protect them. And like, I just can't with good conscience feel like I can bring more people into the world in that scenario. So like, um, we've talked about adoption a little bit. Like if Chris would let me, I would adopt like 30 kids. Yes, please. Let me love Mm. them. Let me like, give me something to love and protect. Chris isn't as into that. So I don't know. Um, but I, I feel like breeding right now would be like, it's the same as like breeding mutts when there are hundreds of thousands of dogs put down every year and the shelters are all full. And it's just like, why would you do that? You're just exacerbating the problem. Mm. And so, I don't know, a lot of people see like choosing to not have kids as like a really selfish thing. And I see it as like a very selfless thing. Like I'm not like taking away the resources and the opportunities that your children will be vying for, you know? Mm. And like, I want to like, let me love and serve people, but I don't need to add more people. Sure. So that's where I come from it. Again, Chris does want kids eventually, but I've just told him, I'm like, yeah, just let me know. Offer expires when I turn 35. (laughs) So, and if it expires, fine. And uh, if not, fine. Yeah, so. I understand that expiration date. I had one too, but, yeah. but I, I didn't want any more by the time it came up. So it was yeah. fine. I was like, no, thank you. We're done here. I cannot let my body be pregnant again. Thank yeah. you. We well, had I, horrific pregnancies too. Yeah, they're not great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know, I really love when people will give. You know, especially with the culture that we were raised in, it's very much like have children, like. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're commanded to <laughs> have children. <laughs> and, um, and so I think that oftentimes if anybody makes a choice or has an opinion that is different than what we've taught is the quote-unquote right way, mm-hmm. um, we, don't, we don't even open our ears to listen to why that might be. We're just like, I already know that you're not doing what you should do. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that that is a really... Um, compelling perspective just to say like how about we take care of the people that are on this earth yes, right please. now yeah. <laughs> so yeah um but i mean along those same lines like you asked me if i've ever been like treated differently or whatever i feel like the church as a whole in the last decade or so has become a lot more sympathetic to differences i think and so too. and so um i think if i were trying to do this 20 years ago or something i'd get a lot more flack for it right but i I never get, like, judged or negative things for, like, not choosing to have kids. I rarely get judged on, like, physical appearance or lifestyle choices or whatever. Like, I feel like everyone is coming around to, like, you know what? You do you. Like, this is great. So, right. and I try to propel that thought process as much as possible. Yes, for as much as, as what's going on, I feel like everything that's happening in the world right now um, really is turning people into... Like you have to pick a side on a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of divisiveness and people are digging in their heels. Um, and, and it can feel as though nothing's getting better. But what, just like you said, within my own community, I look, I look at the people that I know and love and the way that we're living 
and compare it to what would have happened to me or them 20 years ago yeah. in this same community, mm-hmm. it would have been a different response. So it gives me hope that yes, there is sure. change happening. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, we probably would have been burned as witches a couple hundred years ago. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Oh, I do feel a kinship with those poor people burned as witches. Um, okay, so in the last few minutes, are there any other um, either events or issues in your life that you feel like have, you know, either defined you or um, led you to where you are today or some ideology or something that you want to share that is Milena? Hmm. I ask this because sometimes we can just have a conversation and uh, then I'll turn off the microphone and the person will say, you know, we never even talked about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't know about blah, blah, blah. I wish I would have known to ask you yeah. about that. So sometimes I like to leave that open. Um, I mean, uh, well, I don't know. I have I have lots of fun stories. I don't know about like convictions and life turning sure. points and whatever. No. But like when we were talking about kids, like something that made me think about is... Um, a couple of years ago, we had a exchange student, oh, yeah, which was really yeah, fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So she was an accident. I, you, you wouldn't think that you can have accidental exchange students, but you can. <laughs> Accidents happen everywhere. Yeah, how do you explain so, that? <laughs> um, so we were, you know, there was one night, it was like 1030 or something, and we're just like laying in bed about to fall asleep. And I would just like go scroll through Facebook for a few minutes before you fall asleep, as you do, you know. And um, my neighbor had this post and she was like, Hey, there's this organization that is looking for hosts for exchange students. Like, let me know if you're interested. And I just commented on it. I was like, yeah, you know, like I might be interested, you know, like send me a pamphlet sort of thing. Right. Right. Well, like 10 or 20 minutes later, I get this phone call and I'm like, who's calling me at like 11 o'clock at night. So I pick up and she's like, Hey, I'm so-and-so from this organization and we need to get these kids placed by midnight. So I'm going to send you some profiles. Just let me know which one you want and, uh, get back to me ASAP. And I'm like, uh, okay, thank you. And I hang up. And at this point, my poor husband knows nothing. I'm like, I'm like honey, yeah. we're, we're having a child in our home. It's an accident. But um, yeah, I just rolled over. And I was like, um, I think I just accidentally signed us up to take a foreign exchange student. And he's like, cool. I was like, yeah, let's go. I was like, all right. So um, I looked through the profiles and it's just like very basic information, you know, right. like name, age, country of origin, like no pictures even. Um, and then they, there were just like a few questions that they have the kids answer to, so you can like get to know them and kind of pick one that would be good for your family dynamic and whatever. And one of the questions was name three things you want to experience while you're in the U.S. And almost every single kid had the same answers. And it just like whatever they'd seen in the movies. Like, right. oh, I want to play basketball. I want to go to a rock concert. I want to go to prom, you know. And then we go to Beam, like Sunbeam, age 15, Thailand. And her answers to that question were, I want to make cookies and brownies. I want to decorate an Easter egg. And I want to go on an adventure trip. <laughs> and we were like, uh, that one right there, dibs. And so... um yeah, we signed up and we took Beam. And when again, when we were signing up, we were thinking like, for an exchange student, like one semester, right? Like four months or whatever. No, she was with us for 10 months. That's a long which, time. Yeah, which I loved. She came like a month before school started, stayed through the whole school year, and then left a few weeks after the school got out. But we're like, man, we are checking all those boxes and we are checking them hard. Yeah. So um, we made plenty of cookies and brownies. 
Um, we like made sure that we had like a really good Easter egg experience. And we, I mean, we met canyoneering. We go canyoneering a couple times a year. Um, and we, I've told you, we love the river. So we like took her whitewater rafting and stuff and so much fun, so much fun. So like we taught her ropes cause she'd never been on ropes before. And by the end of that trip, we took her down to Zion. And by the end she was like repelling, like well over a hundred feet by herself, wow. just like this little spider coming down. We we're so proud. And then, um, we took her whitewater. And did she rafting. just love it? Oh, she loved it. Was yeah. she ever, was she ever nervous? Did she ever feel like you guys' adventure um, level exceeded what she was I'm ready for? I'm sure she did, but she just has such a good, like, go get them attitude. We're like, yeah, you can stay. Nice. Um, like when we went rafting the, so we went and did the Locksaw River in Idaho and, um, the water had risen a lot from the time we made the plan to the time we went up there. And so it was actually like pretty scary white water. Yeah. And we flipped the boat a couple times with, oh my <laughs> with a beam on it. And um and we kind of like we we went through like the safety talk, like, hey, this is what happens, like put your feet downstream, get to this boat. If we're doing this, this means this. If we do that, don't do that, you know. And ran her through everything. And um so yeah, the boat flipped the first time and we like got it all back together, got everyone back to the boat, whatever. And I just like leaned over and I grabbed Beam's shoulder. I'm like, look, that is the worst thing that happens. Like, that's it. You have nothing else to be afraid. Like, yeah, you've done it. And she was like, oh, okay, that's not that bad. I was like, yeah, right. Well, then like a few hours later, we flipped the boat again. And I wasn't on the boat that time. I was on a different boat. And I talked to her. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, were you okay? She's like, well, yeah, you said that's already the worst thing that happened. So like, I wasn't even scared. I was just like, okay, just swim back to the boat and ready to set go. And I'm like, you were the coolest 15 year old girl ever. So great. Just so much fun. Like that's one awesome. of the best things we ever did. And I sure. assume you uh, keep in touch. Not as much as I would like. Oh. Um, so American schools suck. I'm not, I <laughs> and so um, the, so her school in Thailand had a lot more, prestigious standards. Oh. And so the year that she spent in the US didn't count academically. So it was as if she oh, took no. a year off. And so when she went back, she jumped straight into this advanced program to like get two years of school done in one right calendar year. So she just like lived with her nose in a book just trying to like make up for lost time cuz the time she was in the US was basically just lost time. Wow. Yeah. And so I was thinking like, oh yeah, we're just going to like, we're going to message all the time and we'll video chat and whatever to like keep up the English and everything. And we rarely like hear from her, which is Mm. super sad. Yeah. But we did tell her when she was here in the States, we said, okay, when you get married, we will come to Thailand and we will be at your wedding. And now we're like, come on, Beam, it's been like two years. Get on it. Like, <laughs> we want to go to Thailand. Years. You're 17. Come on. Why aren't you married yet? <laughs> well, um, you know, my place in the family is that I spent my whole life chasing after being part of the sibling group. Like mm-hmm. there's the there's the six of them all born within 10 years of yeah. each other and then there's 8 years and then there's me. And as when I was a kid, I got relegated a lot to hanging out with the nieces and nephews because they were clearly much closer to my peer group. <laughs> yeah. Um and and I enjoyed that. Like I loved them, but my focus was always on my old my older siblings. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to break into that group so much. For sure. And, um, you know, as an adult, now now I'm 40 years old, and I'm, I'm realizing that, A, I'm in, I am I'm one <laughs> of the siblings, and B, in a certain sense, 
I won't ever be. There's a part of that group that I won't ever break into, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. There's a part of them that, that they're always going to see me as the dumb little sister, uh, <laughs> to not, you know, put too fine a point on it. But um, my, my, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't appreciate the peer group that I had as much, you know, that I, that I didn't focus so much on being like, Hey, my nieces and nephews are, are closer to my same age. I'm going to spend more time. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. a fairly big gap between you and I, but even with like your older sister who there's only four years between us, I love all you guys. And, and, and I feel proud of you guys and stuff, but if there was one thing that I could kind of go back as far as my dynamic in the family, I would spend more time chasing those relationships instead of chasing trying to be, mm-hmm. you know, the adult that I was not mm-hmm. at that time. So I I just want you to know that I love you and I think that you're rad. And I've always, I mean, you're quite a bit younger than me, but in a lot of ways, I look up to you in a lot of ways. Just oh, thank you. I mean, you're very courageous and... Um, and you're just bad A. <laughs> so I'm really grateful that you're willing to come talk to me. And we're done unless you have anything else you want to say. I don't believe so. Okay. Love you. Love you too. And now it's time for a bright spot. The bright spot this week is the example of my husband. I thought it would be fitting to showcase this little bit about him on the week of Father's Day. It's not really about him being a father, though he is a wonderfully devoted, attentive father. But um, he told me last week that just on his own, without any prompting other than his own interest, he has started listening to some podcasts that showcase uh, interesting and important women throughout history that maybe sometimes have been ignored or written out of history. It really warmed my heart to know that my husband, who is a white male, is taking the time to learn about people that he doesn't know about, in this case, women. Um, It makes me feel good as a woman to know that he recognizes my value and the value of other women, and that he is eager to learn about those people and hear voices that have previously not been in his ears before. So that's my bright spot. I encourage you during this time, this time of stretch and of growth, to listen to voices that you previously have either not sought out or have not been available to you and now are, whether that be the voices of women or the stories of women, the stories of black people or other people of color, um, Native Americans, any other marginalized group whose voices traditionally have not been heard, seek those out. Um, The podcasts that my husband is listening to right now, there's one called Fierce and another called Encyclopedia Womanica. Uh, But you don't have to listen to those ones. There are so many wonderful ways that we now are able to hear the voices of those 
who have not had voices in the past. There are podcasts and books and audiobooks, and the internet is a tool that is unparalleled in human history. Maybe we can use it for more than just watching funny cat videos and silly memes. That is the bright spot. I hope that you are doing okay, wherever you are. (laughs) Uh, I love that the sun is shining. It does so much for my soul. But man, I'm struggling. I won't lie. I'm struggling. Look for the bright spots in your life and be a bright spot in someone's life. Be a light and say what is truth. Thank you.